And now while you remain standing, would you look uh, with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4? We continue our uh, series through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to read verses 21 through 34. Mark 4, verses 21 through 34, where we're going to be considering three short parables of Jesus. Parables of the kingdom. Mark 4, verse 21. Let us hear the word of God. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like grain, the grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet... When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray your blessing upon it now as it is proclaimed from this pulpit. Lord, may it be faithfully preached, and give us ears to hear, and hearts, O Lord, that receive your word, that it may bear fruit to the glory of your name. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Congregation, we here as we are going through Mark are uh, listening to the words of Jesus. We are uh, like Mary sitting at his feet hearing what he has to say. And he is teaching us about the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of Christ. He is teaching us about his kingdom. And he's teaching us about the nature of the kingdom here in the world. And so his messages here are different than, you know, what we read in Paul earlier in Colossians, where we are to put off things and put on things, and it's giving instruction to us in that way, telling us how we ought to live. Jesus now is saying, I'm I'm going to show you something bigger than that. I'm going to tell you about the nature of the kingdom of God. 
in this world. And we know that that's the case. In Mark chapter 1, those first uh, kind of introductory words of Mark, verse 15, he says that Jesus came and his message was this. The time has come or the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, therefore, and believe the gospel. So Jesus' message is about the kingdom and about the gospel. And he's helping us understand here in these verses the nature of the kingdom of God. And I just want to make that very clear. So this isn't, this isn't like a message or a sermon that's going to say, you know, this is how you can be a better husband, or this is how you can be a better employer, or this is how you can be a better parent. You know, it's not, it's not that that we're getting today. We are sitting at the feet of Jesus. We're receiving from him uh, important information about the nature of the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't have effect on who we are and how we live. It most certainly does. Uh, but there's, this is sort of a foundational thing. And uh, sometimes it's good for us just to set all of that aside and just quietly sit at the feet of Jesus. Lord, what will you teach me today? And I, I want to lay that out at, at the start here of this, message, of this message, of this sermon. The Christian life is a life of faith. Paul says we live by faith, not by sight. And uh, so that our lives, the Christian lives, are not shaped by, by what we see with our eyes, but by what God has said and what God has spoken That's what it means to live by faith. In other words, if God says something will be, the Christian, the child of God says, it will be. If God promises, then the child of God rests in and believes those promises. This isn't, you know, just kind of mindless it's not mindless optimism. It is simply believing the God who cannot lie. It makes very good sense to live by faith. It's not mindless. We don't turn off our brains. But we are saying what God says is true because of who God is. He cannot lie, and therefore, I am go I'm going to believe exactly what my God has said. And so, uh, we, the child of God believes the God who cannot lie. The child of God believes that Jesus is the Savior who now is at the right hand of God, reigning with all authority in heaven and on earth, because that is what he has said. And Jesus wants his disciples here in Mark chapter 4 and us, by extension, to see the kingdom of God. Not with our physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith. He wants us to look beyond the things that we you know, take notice of here on earth and the ordinariness or seemingly ordinariness of life and see this great significance of the kingdom. So today we're looking at these three small parables. 
calling us to see the kingdom of God, giving us uh, the big picture. And uh, so the first parable, verses 21 through 25, uh, Jesus speaks about a lamp. And we've heard that, too, on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, But there, uh, he says that we are the lamp, we are the light of the world, and uh, we, don't, we shouldn't hide that under a bushel, uh, but we should shine brightly so all to see. Now, he is speaking using the, the, the same uh, analogy of a lamp, but using it in a little bit of a different way. And, and this point is that one day the kingdom of God, which is presently hidden and concealed, will be revealed in all of its glory and majesty and beauty for the whole world to see. Now, you think about at that time when Jesus was uh, walking the earth, when he had his disciples around him, uh, the kingdom was comprised of Jesus and his small group of followers, very few, very small, very hidden. Jesus is saying that there will be a time, there will come a time, when the light will shine throughout the world. Right now, it's just a, it's a little pinprick in, in Israel and in Nazareth. You know, there's not much there, but there's going to be a time when that hidden light is going to shine throughout the world. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying in this parable. And uh, what's interesting, by the way, is in verse 21, here we we say, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? But in the Greek, it's a a little bit different. In the Greek, it says, does a lamp come to be put under a basket or a bed? And and so so in in the Greek, the lamp is doing the action, actually. The lamp is coming. Now, we would say, well, a lamp doesn't come. A lamp is, is an inanimate object. People come and go and uh, people might bring in a lamp, but Jesus, but, but Jesus says, does a lamp come to be put under a, a basket or under a bed? And that is precisely his point, because he is the lamp. He is the light of the world. And for a season, he is hidden in weakness and in obscurity. For a season... He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When he came, he came to his own, Mark said, and his own did not receive him. Here is the light of the world, obscured. But one day, every knee will bow (laughs) and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day. That's a wonderful thing to think about. You know, I think about that when you, uh, you know, you watch the television or you watch the news or sports and you see people who seem to be, you know, so uh, (laughs) anti-God, anti-Christ, against Christ. And against everything that Christ has said in his word. And I actually like to think about, you know, one day that person is going to be on their knees before King Jesus. 
someday. <laughs> I, I, I take some joy in that. I, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe that's wrong of me. But it's, it's good to know that you, you, you know, some of these people who seem so wicked and who are pushing such wicked agendas <laughs> are someday going to be on their knees before King Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. Right now, we're in obscurity and it's hidden, but these things are going to be made and brought to light. He's challenging our faith, brothers and sisters, to lay hold of that. The purpose of the coming of the lamp, Jesus Christ, is not to be hidden away, but to shed the light of the world. And so we ought not to be discouraged by this present season of, of what we might very well consider darkness, where the kingdom of God seems weak and powerless, and there's confusion, and there's great division. And we, we look at this, and we, we look at the church and just shake our head what's going on with the church. But you know, in Psalm chapter 2, that great psalm where the white of the nations rage against God and says that God laughs. And what does he say? I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's what we have to see. (laughs) The nations around us may laugh. The kingdom of God may seem small and insignificant and full of confusion and division, but God has set his king on his holy hill. Or in Psalm 46, when it talks about, you know, the warfare and all of this, and then it says, but there is a river that runs through the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. God will help her when morning dawns. So Jesus is making that point. Uh, And he who has ears to hear, let him hear, he says. And to those who hear and believe, even more will be given. And you'll receive even greater understanding. But to those who hear and harden their hearts, Jesus says, then even the little that they have will be taken away from them. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, that's the first Parable. The second parable in verses 26 to 29 is about this, this farmer who uh, sows his seed. Again, this is a, a, an analogy that Jesus used very often, an agricultural farming analogy. And uh, the point there is the farmer does that, uh, and the seed, as it is sown, starts to germinate, and it starts to grow. And the farmer doesn't do the germination. The farmer doesn't do the growing. And in fact, he doesn't even quite know all the science and everything else about why that happens. It happens when he's in, in bed, at, you know, asleep, it's going on. And when he's waking and he's working, it's going on. All, and the point here that Jesus is making is, this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God will be established. It will be extended in the world by the power of God. And by the power of God himself. The disciples were commissioned by Jesus to be his ambassadors. Think about that. And think about how few they were. Twelve disciples. And they were weak. And of very little consequence in the world. How can they accomplish anything? 
How can the kingdom of God flourish if it depends on them? And that's Jesus' point. It doesn't depend on them. The kingdom of God, the expansion of the kingdom of God, the flourishing of the kingdom of God does not depend on the disciples, doesn't depend on me, doesn't depend on you. God will see to the building of his kingdom. And he's doing it when we're asleep, and he's doing it when we're awake. Just like seed grows when we're sleeping and awake. Now, that doesn't, of course, mean that our efforts are meaningless or insignificant. That's not what that means at all. But the success, the flourishing, doesn't depend on our small, meager efforts. The fact is, God chooses to bless those efforts. That's why I I think I mentioned earlier uh, this morning where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was the Lord who gives the increase. It's the Lord. God gave the increase. Or in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You see, we are to be about the work, but it's God who blesses. And Jesus uses the seed as an analogy of the word. As God's word is spread, God powerfully accomplishes his purposes. I want to read for you from Isaiah 55. Listen to these words. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Jesus is encouraging us here. He's challenging our faith. Do you see this? Do you believe it? God will bring the harvest. God will see to it that And of that, we can be assured. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, what a privilege it is that God, in his mercy, through Jesus, has brought us as citizens into that kingdom. You know, we, probably all of us here, uh, I think, are citizens of the United States. But that citizenship is going to end when we die. Or it will end when the United States dies. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's no guarantee that the United States is any better than Rome, uh, you know, who that flourished and lasted for many, many centuries and then went the way of extinction, really. And... The United States could very easily do that at some, some point. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is with the kingdom of God, which will not end and which will keep flourishing and keep advancing. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And then Jesus, again, gives us an explanation of the kingdom of God using this third parable about the mustard seed, very small seed that's sown into the ground. And the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, though very small, apparently very small, and insignificant and weak, will one day be a kingdom that will fill the whole earth. The kingdom of God is like a very small seed, Jesus said. Again, think about back to when Jesus was speaking with the disciples here. Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them would betray him, which he knew. And the others, we know, were often very confused, didn't quite understand you know, what Jesus was teaching. Uh, and as I said a moment ago, seemingly very insignificant. You know, they were fishermen. They weren't well-educated. Most of them weren't. Uh, how small the kingdom of God must have, seen, have seemed at that point. And then when you think about it, how small the kingdom of God must have seemed when Jesus hung naked, bruised, beaten on the cross. We know the Jews, they shook their head, and you know, when they saw Jesus on the cross. They spurned him. Pontius Pilate said, are you a king? And Jesus said, I am. And he was put on the cross. You would imagine Pontius Pilate probably thought, not much of a king. (laughs) There he is, bleeding. But even, even the disciples... Remember, after Jesus' resurrection, he's with two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they said, we had hoped... We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. We had hoped, but uh, it wasn't to be. Jesus is now challenging his disciples' faith and ours. That seemingly small, insignificant kingdom will grow and fill the whole earth. I think Jesus here is uh, referring actually to a couple of things, Old Testament uh, things that took place, particularly in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is called to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You may remember that uh, the dream is about a big statue. And uh, that statue, Daniel says, represents the various kingdoms uh, that are and that are, are to come. And a rock, a stone comes down rolling and, and it hits the statue and basically crumbles, crushes that statue. And Daniel tells of the various earthly kingdoms that the statue represents. And then he says this in verse 44 of Daniel 2. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So that's what Jesus is, is saying. These earthly kingdoms, they're going to go. This is why I said a moment ago, isn't it a privilege to be citizens of that kingdom that will stand forever? That's what Jesus here is telling us. 
But also, I think he's referring to Daniel chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And that dream is of this huge tree that everybody can see, and it gives shade and provides food and is a place for the birds uh, to come and, and dwell. And uh, in that dream, that, that tree represented Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon, Assyria. And that tree died, and Nebuchadnezzar was very upset about that. I think Jesus now is taking that and saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is, and he says, that's my kingdom that will never die. It will be like a tree covering the whole earth. Birds will come in, and uh, that's, that's my kingdom. Why, why does Jesus mention the birds, birds of the air? You know, often, biblically, uh, in, and in Jesus' other parables, when he speaks about the birds of the air, that, that often refers to like predatory uh, birds that come down to pluck the seeds and to pluck away. Uh, they're, they're hostile to the kingdom of God. And I think what Jesus here is saying is that one day, those who even are hostile to the kingdom will find refuge and shelter in the kingdom. And so, if we read a little further on, we see that Saul of Tarsus was hostile to Christ, hostile to the kingdom, hostile to the followers, found refuge in Jesus Christ, found refuge in the kingdom. The Roman soldiers who beat Jesus before they nailed him to the cross, when that was all done, one of them said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Even those who are hostile may come. Is that you? Always fighting, always battling? Dear ones, find refuge in Christ. Find your peace comfort and life in him and him alone. We live by faith, not by sight. Jesus says, my kingdom will fill the whole earth. And you think about that. When he was lifted, he said, when I am lifted up, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. So at the very point of his weakness, when he is hanging on the cross, that is when he has the victory. And draws all to himself. If we have eyes to see, we see how the gospel is being spread throughout the world. We hear of these mission efforts, don't we? Uh, happening in Africa and Asia and all the, all, through all the parts of the world, Eastern Europe. and the, it's, it's just wonderful to hear that the gospel is going throughout the world. Jesus came to bring sinners out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. And when the Son of Man was lifted up, that is, when he was crucified, he was the Savior. He was the King of the kingdom. And he came to draw sinners out of the dark kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So that's the reality. That's the big picture. That's 
what you and I are involved in and engaged in as members of the church of Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is there, is with this kingdom. That is who we are. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. Revelation, of course, is John is, the, the apostle John is given these revelations, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the picture. Jesus is drawing all people to himself, all people meaning from every tribe and tongue and nation, from every place. He's drawing men and women, boys and girls, to be citizens of his kingdom. And you and I are going to join that big crowd. <laughs> Wearing robes of white, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what that is. Robes of white, clothed in his perfect righteousness. Waving palm branches. These are, it's a sign of victory. That's what the victorious kingdom would, would do when, when their, their army returns is victorious. They would wave the palm branches. Woo! We've won. We have the victory. That's, that's our citizenship. That's the big picture, brothers and sisters. And so, you know, Coram Deo is a small church here in the greater Denver area. Thankfully, we're not the only true church, and there are many others for which we praise God. But what we're doing here is not insignificant. What we are about is not just, you know, passing a little fellowship time on Sunday mornings. This is kingdom activity that we're engaged in. And that's a kingdom that will only continue to flourish and advance until Christ is all in all. So see the big picture. It's foundational for, well, for how we parent, for how we, you know, our husbands or how we are wives. Foundational for how we work and labor. We do so not for the eyes of man, but quorum Deo, before the very face of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord in heaven, we thank you that Christ reigns. And we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And we thank you, Lord, that you have brought us as citizens into that kingdom and that it will not fail. Praise be to God. Encourage, Lord, our hearts then and challenge us to see these things with the eyes of faith. And, O oh Lord, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself that we might be citizens of the kingdom of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.